Hello and welcome back to the home birth experience. John and I are here for part two of our pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey. Welcome back, John. Glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad that you're here too. I hope that everyone in the audience is enjoying our little traveling through time to what just happened last year. Before we continue talking about picking up where we left off, I wanted to go back and just mention, since I had some comments about our previous episode, I wanted to address those. And the comments were specifically about my fertility journey and questions as to what I did. And also some people saying, thank you for sharing that you encountered what was supposedly infertility and you got pregnant also at an older age than most commonly um, women do conceive. So I just wanted to say, first of all, I give all the credit, all the glory to God because it really was a journey of prayer and faith. And I can't even begin to imagine how many people were praying for me because almost everyone I met and everybody who listens to this podcast knows I talk about it all the time, how much I wanted to be a mom. Like it was no secret and everybody prayed that that would happen for me one day. So I know that without a doubt, the power of prayer was at play. Number one, number two, I mentioned that I followed the Weston A. Price diet. Another book that I followed was Beautiful Babies. And I can put the link to that in the show notes. I also just worked very hard on not just the Weston A. Price, but eliminating every single thing that was artificial. So not just in my food, but in the products that I put on my body also. So I wasn't using um, standard lotions and deodorants and even soaps. Like I didn't even use soap on my body, period. So there was a lot of detoxing and then a lot of just restoring nutrients. Um, but again, it all was a very prayerful journey because who knows, maybe if I didn't do that, <laughs> I could have still conceived, but I do give credit to um, the changes that I made and I know that those took a long time to take effect. So if you want more information, like very specifics, um, I'm more than happy to do consults. Even if you are far away from Cleveland, I can still do virtual consults and talk more specifically about your individual case and what you're experiencing because what I experienced and what other people experience as far as their fertility journey goes can be very different. Um, drawing blood work, looking at different labs, different parameters, seeing where things might need to be shifted a little bit as far as intake of fat, protein, supplements, things like that. So we are more than happy to do that. And if you want to get in contact with me directly, you can always email me um, at Julia, J-U-L-I-A, at clevelandhomebirth.com. Again, it's Julia at clevelandhomebirth.com. So don't ever hesitate. If you have questions about any of the episodes or anything 
pregnancy, birth, postpartum related, always feel free to reach out um, and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. So I think that kind of wraps up a little bit of the review and going back to what comments I got. John, is there anything that you thought of about the last episode that we should add in? Well, yeah, <clears throat> I was uh, had a chance to listen to the episode myself and I kind of wanted to, to go back a little bit and set the scene just a little bit more uh, about the situation that we found ourselves in. So you want to get a little bit more personal. You want to tell us some deets. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. So, uh, I guess to start a little bit further back, about two months before we found out, um, well, actually six months before we found out is when it began, but as everyone knows, there was this... Uh, giant pandemic that was going through the whole world and there was a lot of uh, information both useful and unuseful going around and then there were lockdowns and there were vaccine mandates and there were a lot of things that were pushed out that people were trying to just figure out what was going on and i have to pause so you say we met six months prior to all this happening and when you said there's all this vaccine mandate stuff and different things going on with the pandemic. So John and I met in my backyard on kayaks and we're out on Lake Erie and we're, you know, I'm trying to like get to the nitty gritty about this guy because now that the pandemic's happened and you meet people, I think you're a little bit more discerning of what side they they tend to lean towards. And so there was like no beating around the bush right away. We talked about these things. Yeah, the stuff that you're never supposed to talk about. You know, we talked about faith, money, religion. What was the third? Is it? There's three things. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, they, oh yeah, politics. There we go. Politics. <laughs> of course. So, so politics, faith, uh, and money are the three things that typically don't get talked about in general because they're very people are quite sensitive about them typically and they have an opinion and they're usually very strong on their opinion and so uh you know i think everyone's entitled to their opinion and part of that is you know my journey going through the military i was very 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 specific on i appreciated serving so that all of us here in the united states had that right to make a choice when it came to what happens here in this country and those free wills and so as part of that bringing it back to uh, two months before we found out that we were pregnant, there was uh, a mandate in my work to prove vaccine status. And having served for as long as I did in the service uh, for the rights to have your privacies in particular, I was very, very against uh, having to prove whether I did or didn't have the vaccine. And so some call me maybe a little bit strong-headed or stubborn, but I refused all the way up to the very end to, to give any proof of whether I did or didn't have the vaccine because I personally strongly believe that that's none of anyone's business. That's HIPAA, you know, it's personally identifiable medical information. Especially because you're working in an industry where that isn't pertinent to your job. So like no, when I, I was worked a... in the hospital system 
It was a little bit of a different situation, I believe, because I'm becoming into contact with immunosuppressed patients, things like that. And so I feel like in that industry, they have a little bit different um, side to we can mandate you to have these vaccinations, whereas you're not working in healthcare at all. No, in fact, the vast majority of the 60 to 80 hours a week that I was working was driving a vehicle. Uh, I was a traveling repair man for a company out of Westlake that um, really, it was awesome. I really enjoyed the work. I was very good at it. I, um, I excelled. I really enjoyed what I did. And I was selected quite often to go deal with troubled clients that really needed something done and done now. And at the time I had no fam, well, no kid, no girl, no nothing going on that I, that held me one way or the other. So at a moment's notice, they, they wanted me to drive to Connecticut. I drive to Connecticut. And from there, if I wanted, if they wanted to drive me to, or tell me to drive to Mississippi, I drive to Mississippi. Um, and of those who know about my Mississippi trip, you're probably smiling right now because of how much of a debacle that was. Anyway, but <laughs> anyway, uh, I meet you when you come back to Cleveland in the midst of all your travels and mm-hmm. we get to know each other and we decide we are going to um, ensue this friendship. Correct. And it comes down to this vaccine stuff with your work. And I gave you a little piece of my mind about it. You sure did. You, yeah, you, you, our conversation that we had concerning the vaccine, really, it was it was helpful to to find someone who was like minded, to encourage me to stick to my guns because I was actually pretty close to just capitulating and going ahead and 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 getting the vaccine because when the in the well proving the vaccine, I mean, but let's call like, it what it is a jab. There were 15 of the people I worked with who said that they were going to quit if they if the vaccines became mandated. And I think it's 15, 14 or 15, either way. And December 8th was the, was the cutoff date for my company. And every single one of them, well, but me and one other, went ahead and either got a fake vaccine card or did whatever it was necessary to prove to the company beyond a reasonable doubt that they did or didn't have uh, the vaccine. And then here it came down to me and I was one of the only two that would, again, refuse to to give that information to the company. Again, like I said, I don't think it's any of their business. And I was wavering. I was kind of getting to that point where I was like, you know, I just, I, I might as well, because I didn't want to lose my job. I was comfortable. It was a good job. I really liked it. I, I really enjoyed all the people I worked with. In fact, I really enjoyed all the people I worked with. And I, it, it's such an amazing thing to realize that you're comfortable, but know that you have to stick to your guns. And so I did. I stuck to my guns and I was, I don't know, I guess, well, I was fired for for my beliefs there and two months later after saying okay i'm going to take a few minutes to myself and kind of regain all of a sudden we find out that uh we're having a kiddo yep we do so 
Okay, we're all the way back to when we find out. Correct. Yeah, February. Okay, so we find out in February. And at the same time, we we led up to this in the last episode, we also found out that your mom had cancer. Yes. And John being the loving man that he is, he had a very dear and special relationship with his mother. I think all, now that I'm the mother of a son, I understand the, the love a mother has for a son. And I think uh, Marjorie, his mother having seven children, six boys, she just had this, this special love for each one of her kids. And um, yeah, my mom's favorite phrase was, no matter how many children I have, I love each one the best. <laughs> That's cute. So it was it was very interesting. So for me, I met Marjorie and Bruce, um, John's mom and dad, maybe three times prior to me finding out I was pregnant. Maybe more than that. No, it was definitely more than that. It was probably six or seven times. But anyway, um, I got to know her a little bit. Very, very, very sweet woman. She had suffered a stroke how many years ago? Uh, at the time, it was six years, I think. And John was by her side throughout that whole rehabilitation and hospital stay. And so they had a, a very special bond after going through that together. And... It was very endearing to see how he cared for his mother because she had resulting paralysis on the right side of her body after her stroke. And so she required the assistance of her family and whoever was there to help. Um, and so I knew that that was a very, very sacred relationship that John and his mom had. And when she was diagnosed, there were some key words that were spoken but there was no formal stage of her cancer diagnosis. No, actually, it was very much elusive. And, and that was part of the majority of the conversations with the doctors. And in fact, they, I mean, the only thing I can think of is they just didn't have the courage to say what was going on. And they were very elusive. And they said, well, you know, and they described stage four but they never said stage four. And um, yeah, I mean, that was hard. It was very hard. Nobody knew really what was going on. Well, and as a healthcare professional and having had an aunt go through a similar cancer, I'm hearing his family talk about the, it has metastasized to this and then to that area and that area. And I know from the few key words that they're telling me, this is stage four, she's terminal, and this is going to be six months probably that she has to live with or without treatment. And I couldn't say that. I couldn't tell John, your mom is going to die, she's terminal. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have heard you anyway. Exactly. I couldn't have said it. It wouldn't have mattered, but what I needed to do was I needed to put my own self aside and I needed to make sure that he was well supported in this time that he had with his mom and that I encouraged his contact with his mom 
as much as possible because I knew this was going to be the end of the road for her. And that was really, really challenging because John and I had only known each other for eight months at this point. And we were not planning on being in this type of relationship whatsoever. And we hadn't been physical to be in that type of relationship but one time. And so this was all very surprising for us. And I had my own little war with, okay, God, I waited my whole entire adult life to have this miracle happen to me. And his mother's going to die at the same time. Excuse me. I mean, I really, really struggled with why is this happening at the same time? Because this man's emotional availability, physical availability, mental availability was pretty much shot. It was shot for me. I mean, I got what (laughs) maybe 5% of your availability. Uh, if my, at all. my emotional and, and mental availability, absolutely. I mean, but then it got even more challenging because shortly thereafter, uh, my parents decided to go with chemo. That's and, right. And we and tried to, to, to slow that and prolong the situation, which was, you know, their choice. And, you know, those in our family have pretty strong opinions both ways on that. Uh, and one of those things that really made it a challenge for me because I, through my mom's previous illness with her stroke, was legitimately by her side. I mean, I took FMLA and I stayed at the hospital sleeping in the chair next to her for three months nonstop every single day. I didn't even leave. And, well, I mean, I left to go, like, shower, like, every three or fourth day. You didn't stay stinky forever? No, I mean, well... <laughs> I stay pretty stinky. But anyway, and so now all of a sudden mom has this chemical being pumped through her to to, to kill this living organism. Living, living organism. So all of a sudden Julia and I had a conversation because obviously she knows a little bit more about the medical world than I do. But the actual chemo drug is to stop the growth of cells. And it is potent, like in, incredibly potent around her so much so that even if you weren't trying to develop a child inside someone's body, they say for 24 hours, stay away from all excretions from those persons because that chemical is just so harsh. And so Julia and I talked about it, and especially because she was literally growing cells intentionally called a child, I, I, I couldn't be anywhere near her for seven days, right. a whole I, week. I decided I wasn't comfortable with what the drug label says, 24 to 74 hours, 24 to 72 hours. I said, I think we need to have a whole seven days between the chemo administration and when we see her. So I didn't even want John to go into the house and touch things. It could have been, she could have been sweaty and touch this. And then you pick up, I mean, I... It was so difficult because I didn't want to have that separation. But at the same time, I did not want these deadly effects of the chemo drugs to... To have any effect on Charles. Right. I mean, it was just such a rock and a hard place to be. And 
Meanwhile, I am trying to be patient and not say this is really driving me nuts that I have to sacrifice all of my own wants and desires about enjoying this pregnancy. And when we were not on the seven day pause, we were at your parents' house. A good amount of time. Yeah. And then on top of that, the part which gets fun on, on my end is being the, the man of this relationship, recognizing on top of all this crazy amount of stress, recognizing that I've pretty much exhausted all of my f savings because at this point we're three months into the new year and I had been unemployed since the beginning of December. So all of a sudden I started getting grouchy and I recognized the reason that I was getting upset was I didn't have money to pay for things, to pay for gas, to pay for snacks, to anything. And so I started really buckling down and looking for new jobs and applying for uh, positions and interviewing, which again, if you've ever had to deal with that, which I would say just about everyone has, it's quite stressful going through that process, not to add injury to insult, that now we've got a new child growing. My mom is sick, and at this point, I hadn't accepted that there was going to be a short ending to this. This was, you know, she's sick, she's gonna get better, we're gonna fight this, we're gonna make it happen, and I'm getting a job, and life just is, I mean, tumultuous at this point. It was pretty impressively challenging. Right. And not to mention the house that your parents lived in was is a very beautiful, large home, but there's no air conditioning. Yeah, no AC. And being pregnant in the hot summer and helping at, at a certain point, your mother wasn't able to really move herself at all and there was you know helping with changing her and things like that that you know of course like I stepped right in and pitched in to help whenever I, I was needed um and I gladly did that and I think that in a way brought John and I closer because we went through some really vulnerable stuff together through that we did and kind of talking about the fact that you had only met my parents really quite a hand, only a small handful of times, all of a sudden you found yourself in a very intimate space with my family. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, we're still working on repercussions of the fact that you and had not, and my family had not really known or met you terribly a lot. And all of a sudden, here you are helping out. And to some extent, people might say, well, hold, hold on a second. We don't know that person. They should leave. But Julia, which I know all of you have experienced through these podcasts in particular, if not in person, is such an amazing, sweet, like generous person. And just being around her has this calming effect, which is wonderful. People who weren't, my family weren't exactly sure what to make of it. And but they've all said that they've been thankful that she's around because Julia being a little bit more of a professional in the medical world, none of us are. So when certain things came down to it, like 
should we change this? Should we change that? Is this normal? Is that normal? Julia really helped us navigate some of those things, including getting doctors involved that she knew personally, like neighbors and friends, to get second questions and opinions. And it was really quite amazing to have her around during all this, even though I was quite divided in my attention in general, which I think rightfully so was the case. Mm-hmm. Yep, so I pretty much sacrificed the things that I wanted throughout my pregnancy so that he could get these last months with his mom. Um, and so this was the entire, well, not the entirety of my pregnancy because she ended up passing away in July. Don't remember the date. I don't either. It was so crazy to me. But, um, so this persisted, you know, from the beginning of my pregnancy, I was due in October. So I was, how many of her months I was in, in July. And, um, she, it was, at the end, it was really difficult because she was, re- she would hit some really, really lows and then kind of peak back up. And so I would be thinking from the experiences that I've had with hospice before, I would, you know, and my professional experience was like, okay, we've only got like a matter of days. And then all of a sudden she'd perk back up mm-hmm. and then she'd go another week and then she'd bottom out and I'd think, okay. She's such a fighter. I mean, you gotta think about it. She had fighter. seven children and that's, mm-hmm. I mean, just in and of itself, getting through all of us growing up um, was a challenge in itself, especially boys who fought and ran away from home and jumped the fence and uh-huh. <laughs> all these things. Um, but yeah, no, she, she was a champ. She fought till the very end. And so then, um, I, I, I also prayed to God. I said, okay, God, uh, my family, my godmother has planned a, a baby shower for me in Cincinnati where I'm from. And it's on this date in July. I can't remember the date. And I just have this feeling that Marjorie's going to die. And her funeral is going to be the same weekend as my baby shower. And I just kept having this feeling. I think this can't, this can't happen. This can't happen. It's not going to happen this way. You never mentioned this to me. I didn't realize. I didn't mention no, it. No, you never mentioned I didn't that you mention had a lot. feelings. No, John, I didn't mention a lot of things to you because... If I mentioned what I was really thinking and feeling, you would have been like, back up. I knew I needed to protect the space that you had with your mom. And I swallowed a lot Mm. because I knew this was the last, these were the last days you were ever going to spend with your mother on earth. And so I didn't state my feelings about hardly anything because I didn't want to negatively impact me. At that point. Well, I didn't, I mean, I'm going to still be here for, for years to come. You know, there's days and years to come that we could, you know, learn about each other and go on walks together and do all the things I wanted to do. Was I upset about the timing of it? Of course. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not a priority. Like my emotions of what I wanted my pregnancy to look like were not important at that point. So you had these feelings for quite a while. I had these feelings for weeks. Hmm that I really thought this was going to happen. And I, I was preparing myself to, you know, 
tell my godmother and my mom and my family, okay, we're going to have to reschedule it. Like we should probably have a rain date, you know, like let's figure this out. And my mom was apprehensive. Everybody down in Cincinnati planning this was apprehensive. They're like, okay, should we just, we just got to go ahead and plan. We got, we want to shower you. We got to plan it. And so we did. And your mom passed away. I believe it was a, when it was a Tuesday or Wednesday. And all I could think was my baby shower Saturday. That's right. It was a Wednesday, I believe. And my baby shower was Saturday. And I thought, they're going to plan the funeral on Saturday. Maybe it was a Thursday. I don't remember. But it was a very quick period of time. Like, your family didn't waste any time to get everything planned and have it all said and done. And... I was able to make it to the wake, which was on a Friday night. And then you insisted yeah. that I went to Cincinnati for I this did. baby shower. I just figured you guys had it all planned. It wasn't going to make any difference. And like your mom had come up. She was here, wasn't she? Yeah. Yes, she was here. You know, your mom was up and she actually helped orchestrate flowers, which was amazing. Funeral. She did. And yeah, I, I remember you talking about it and you had this whole thing planned. And, you know, I just was very insistent. It's like, listen, go. I don't need your, you don't need your, I don't need your support at this part of this. I need my family support as part of this. And uh, I was just like, please just go. I, I you have it all planned. Everyone's coming. Just you already have this situation and I, I I mean essentially forced you and your mom to go back down to Cincinnati and I was really upset about it because here I am like this new girl in the family and I'm already being questioned about what my intentions are with John and where I've come from and who I am and they did not give me an easy time and so now here I am not going to be there for John and I thought okay great so now they're going to think even less of me which was frustrating for me to be judged the way that I was at the beginning, but I also understand why um, to a certain degree. You know, I think everybody's protective of their siblings. <laughs> Very much. And so I was really upset with John. I, I like, couldn't believe that he was saying, no, go to your baby shower. So I go to the baby shower. All of this long story to come to this point. I was 29 weeks pregnant. I go down to Cincinnati for the baby shower. I have these really cute dresses that I picked out. I had two baby showers. And put my dress on Saturday morning. We drove down Saturday morning for the baby shower because we stayed Friday night for the wake. So the baby shower's at, I think it was like at noon. We drove down that morning, got to my parents' house, got dressed put on my high heels, put on my beautiful flower dress that shows my pretty bump and do my hair, put my pearls on. And I walk out to my parents' pool and I'm like, Dad, don't I, you know, like, look at my dress. I feel so pretty. And he's like, you look great. Why are your feet so big? And I looked down at my feet and I was like, oh my gosh, they're like ballooning out of my heels. Maybe it's because I'm wearing heels. That, that might be what it is. So I'm just going to take the heels off 
till we get in the car, you know, and then we get to the, the shower or whatever. So I kind of just brushed it off. I thought, well, that's weird. I've never had that happen. It's probably just the heels. So got to the baby shower and put my heels back on, went into the baby shower, socializing with people, not really thinking about it. And then they do that obligatory sit down and open your presence in front of everybody act. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this feels awkward. And I sat down and my legs felt giant. And I looked down and again, my feet are like spewing out of these heels. They're so swollen. And I started to feel a little bit funny. Like I just didn't feel right. I felt a little bit off. And so I just, I opened the presents and everybody oohed and awed and that's so cute. And you know, the normal baby shower thing. And we get back to my parents' house after it's all said and done. And I'm like, mom, I just, I don't, I don't feel right. My head's starting to hurt. Something's wrong. And so she gets a blood pressure cuff and takes my blood pressure. And it was 160 over 112. And it had been... 130 over 70 around that my whole pregnancy and I was already really paranoid about having preeclampsia so I I immediately did what I shouldn't have done I freaked out I'm swollen my head hurts and my blood pressure is extremely high so it's Saturday night, what do I do? I call my OB. He's out having fun, doing whatever on the town. And he said, well, first of all, I need you to stop freaking out. I need you to, if you're comfortable with it, take some Tylenol for your headache. I need you to rehydrate yourself and I need you to reevaluate this in the morning. And then I want to see you in the office Monday. So I went to the office Monday. My blood pressure did go down a little bit on its own and went to the office on Monday and the swelling had gone down and he had told me that I had early onset signs of preeclampsia and with the earlier the onset the more severe the symptoms can become so I am just sitting there wondering again why god is this happening to me i want to have a home birth why am i having this early onset preeclampsia that is having this blood pressure spiking that's putting me and my baby at at risk for um poor outcomes why is this happening to me um it's i'm not unhealthy i okay i'm older i'm at this point 41 it's my first pregnancy, so the age and first pregnancy are two big risk factors. But then also, my mom having preeclampsia with me, I was her first baby when she was 30. For some reason, in my mind, was like, okay, my mom had it, so I might have it. And then I had a nurse one time tell me that she saw preeclampsia written all over me. That that's what was going to happen to me. So I kind of feel like I had this, like... I don't know what you call it, John. Like, predetermined, predestined kind yeah, of like, curse, if you will, almost. And, I mean, it's potentially possible that because you had these feelings and thoughts and in yourself and got told at one point and you have dwelt upon those things, that you may have induced it and manifested on yourself. Right. 
So there was that, and that was hard to swallow, and there was nothing I could really do about it. Like, I didn't want it, you know, but I kept thinking, maybe I am manifesting it, and this sucks. Like, I wish I could take it away. I wish I could do something different, but it it's what was happening. So as I mentioned in the first episode, I planned on doing zero diagnostic testing, no ultrasounds. And I already blew that. I had two at this point because I just wanted to see if there was actually a baby in there because it was so unbelievable that God had performed this miracle. Um, so now my doctor is sitting in front of me giving me these risk benefits. And John was at this appointment and he said, I just want to prepare you right now today that if this continues to escalate and we can't manage it with diet and medication that we're looking at induction at as early as 34 weeks. And I really had an internal breakdown at that point Hmm. because I didn't want a 34 week baby. I didn't want to have a preterm baby and go through the NICU experience. And I was devastated that this was happening. And I remember he said, I know that you've declined all diagnostic testing and I will respect your wishes if you continue to do to continue to choose that. Given what's happening now, I think it is appropriate for us to get an anatomy scan to look at some things and do another set of blood work. And so I was agreeable to that because there was an indication I thought that it was fair to do that testing. So we went forward with the testing and had an anatomy scan at 29 weeks and they were able to see everything they needed to see. And we had a perfectly healthy baby, still did not know that it was a boy. And um, he had uh, a variation of normal in his cord where the arteries went to his stomach. Um, But everything looked normal except for the fact that he was breech. <laughs> he was breech. He was butt facing on the way out. So then I had that concern. Um, but they put me on medication for the preeclampsia. And of course I did everything dietarily um, and lifestyle wise that I was humanly capable of doing. Um, but, everybody intended, uh, because he was breech, he was sitting on your sciatic. Oh, and so you, that added like, you to tried it. walking a bunch, but all of a sudden, at one point, you could barely walk. It was painful. Yeah. Like, I remember the nurse leading me down the hall at the hospital, and she was, like, a mile ahead of me. And she looked back, and I said, I'm sorry, like, I can't walk. I, I literally cannot walk because this, this baby is sitting somehow on my hip or my back or my sciatic that it's causing the sciatic pain. So, so I was taking medication to lower my blood pressure and we were able to stabilize my blood pressure at 140 over 90. And as long as we stayed in that parameter, we were okay to continue forward. So we did, we kept going forward and we just, we wanted to get a full term baby. We wanted to get a full term baby. Full term baby and turn that baby. Turn it around, turn it around. So at 36 weeks, he was still breached. We had another ultrasound, he was still breached. And that's when I decided, oh no, 
34 weeks, he was breech. And so then I thought, all right, I'm going to do the spinning baby stuff, which meant getting on an, a made up inversion table. So we used an ironing board leaning against the couch with my head down at the floor and my feet up in the air with my back on this ironing board. So I'm inverted, letting the baby drop out of my pelvis and giving him room to flip around. And then I also, God love her, Amanda Zimmerman at Fresh Start Chiropractic in Avon, um, did some chiropractic care for me. And Lisa Loveless with Next Level Therapy in Avon did some myofascial release with um, the pelvic floor OT therapy. So it was kind of a group effort. The biggest champ here was John when I was on this inversion table and I thought there's no way in this world I am going to be able to stay in this position for 20 minutes. This is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what you did. I think you lied to me about the timing. Eh, maybe just a little <laughs> bit, but no. I, I mean, I can only imagine you put a bowling ball on your chest and then go upside down. I mean, good thing you hadn't eaten recently because it would have come right up. I mean, I can only imagine how uncomfortable this would have been. But we knew very strongly that we wanted this baby to be head down, and it wasn't. And he. His big old butt was just sitting in that pelvis and we needed to get it out. And so when we talked about this inversion table through using an ironing board, it was it was gonna be interesting. I mean, even just getting into the position was awkward and getting laid down was awkward and she would slide off the, the ironing board a little bit. So I kind of had to you know position myself at her shoulders to kind of help her from sliding down. And, you know, if you're doing a plank, two minutes is a long time. We're talking 20 minutes. This is a, I mean, almost unfathomable amount of time to be at least at a negative position, like inverted like that. And so we, we talked through it and we explained what was happening and we, you know, talked about everything that was good for this and then to get the baby out and you know, just talk through it. And the more we were able to talk through it, we actually got ourselves to the time. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really, it was really good. And in the end, it actually, it, it worked. Charles mm -hmm. came out of the pelvis and ended up rotating around and was no longer breech. And the whole time I was also just mentally preparing myself to vaginally. By the way, this wasn't just one time. That's the other part. This was like, multiple applications of inversion over multiple different days, weeks, even, well, no, a couple days anyway. It was at least a week. Yeah, so it's not just simply one one application. Nope. One and done. Baby came out. <laughs> right. No, so I was preparing myself to deliver vaginal breach, and I wasn't scared of that. I mean, obviously, I've done, um, I've assisted or, you know, helped women birth their breech babies before, and so... I'm around it. I'm trained in it. I wasn't scared of it. I was very grateful that I had a doctor who would support that in the hospital if I needed to birth in the hospital because at this point, I'm still planning a home birth. Mm -hmm. And I asked Dr. Stetzer, and he was like, of course, I'm going to deliver your baby breech vaginally. We're not doing a C-section. So 
I was prepared either way. And I also want to mention, you know, when I said I didn't want interventions, this is exactly what I didn't want. I didn't want to know that he was breached or that he was head down or whatever he was because now you it gave it. me something to worry about. And I didn't, I wanted to trust my body. I wanted to trust the God's design. I wanted to trust my baby and he, my baby and I working together in this process. And so when you have these interventions, it takes it away. Like it made it so much harder for me to trust my body. I felt like at this point, okay, I'm, I'm like, worried about everything which is making the situation worse but yet mm -hmm. i couldn't worry i couldn't stop worrying yep so we go into the hospital at i went no for what yeah so right around this time after we went ahead and did the inversions and baby is now flipping around and, and really out in the open able to be moving about three days before we went into the hospital Oh, this, I'm not even there yet. Oh. I'm still talking about, so like the day we did the inversion, I also had a blessing way. Oh, was so that for a while? Okay. midwives and friends came and gave me what is called a blessing way. And I, I took off. I'm not part of blessing yeah. way because I'm a guy. I'm he not saw, part of this. He was at the house because a blessing way is supposed to be at your house where you're preparing to birth. And so um, the women who were going to be surrounding me during birth and some additional women were at this event in my home and we're like going through this archway, like we're making an archway for each of us to walk through. And John walked in the door and he's like, and I'm out. <laughs> I came, I, you had said to, to head out for something and then I, I came in and, and just briefly to grab, I don't know, maybe a drink of water or a can of soda or something at the time. And all of a sudden, all these girls turn and look at me and everyone has flowers and dresses. And I was just like, uh, okay, I'm out. <laughs> Bye. I don't, even, like, I don't even know if I even said that much. I kind of looked, was in complete and utter shock. And I was like, I don't want to know. See you later. I'm out. So girly stuff. that was really wonderful. And I also want to backtrack just a smidge um, to it was probably a little bit before my baby or before it was probably like somewhere between 20 and 30 weeks that a woman named Jody Anton reached out to me who said she was a new midwife in Medina and she wanted to connect with me. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like this is one more thing I really don't want to deal with right now. And so I ignored her phone call. I ignored her message. I think she's messaged me a couple more times. And I just thought, man, this woman is persistent. What in the world? And <laughs> So I finally make time. We schedule a time to talk on the phone and then that gets interrupted. And so we don't get to talk on the phone. I'm like, all right, whatever. Well, she's persistent again. And we schedule another time to talk on the phone. So we finally talk on the phone and she tells me who she had trained under. She just had gotten her CPM. She was really excited about opening her new practice in Medina and I really drilled her and I 
I just, I thought, I want to know what this woman's all about. And does, you know, the person she trained under has a certain reputation that isn't wonderful. And I point blank asked her, do you think you're prepared to actually be a midwife after you trained under this person? And she she handled my tough questions really well. And I thought, all right, she passed level one of the interview here. I'll go to level two. We'll meet for lunch. So we met for lunch, which I got called away to a birth. And I ended up really, really connecting with her. And she was a blessing in my journey in a way that only God could bring forth. So she not only helped me with my clients, because at this point now, 29 weeks, I'm developing these signs of preeclampsia and I'm worried about going to birth and I'm worried about being up all night and not being able to give the quality of care to my clients that they deserved and needed. And so Jody so graciously stepped in and helped me when I had, I had just too much on my plate and wasn't able to handle it. And I also needed emotional support because of what I was going through with John. And she was there. She's a sister in Christ. And that was really an amazing bond to share with her. And I thought, and I remember saying this in our first episode, that I thought I needed an elder to be with me for my birth. In the short period of time that I got to know Jody, I was like, I think I need her at my birth. And so she was there for me emotionally, there for me to support my clients and start seeing them when I was unable to see them. And she also was there for me during my labor and my postpartum. Um, So I just wanted to back up and just kind of give that little tidbit about how God works so intricately in bringing her into my world and me giving her such a hard time, but her sticking through it um, and and really, uh, you know, nurturing this great relationship between the two of us. And she was also one at my blessing way. Um, So then where was I? We were at 36 weeks. Baby's now head down at the next ultrasound. And my mom went to that ultrasound with me. She was in town visiting. And she felt that Dr. Stutzer was saying, okay, we got full term. Let's have this baby. And she felt an urgency from him. Whereas I'm sitting there like, cool, we're monitoring my blood pressure. It's staying stable. Let's just keep going. And I don't hear the urgency in his voice at all. But he did say to me, all right, we're full term. Like that was our goal was to get to full term. Whenever you will let me do something, I would be happy to do something. And my response to him was, well, when I go into labor, if you're not on call at the hospital, could you come out to Huron to be at my birth at my house? (laughs) And he looks at me and he goes, well... Yeah, I guess that could work out. I mean, yeah, if the timing works out, I would come. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm having my home birth and I'm having a doctor come too. So 
now I'm really, I got it all planned out. Doctors are going to be there. Midwives are going to be there. It's going to be great. And all the while, I'm not thinking he's trying to induce me at all. John, you want to say something? Well, I was going to say, I mean, as if all the stresses of breach and preeclampsia and going to the doctors and my mom passing and the funeral and repercussions of that and the rest of my family kind of being in turmoil and reeling from the 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 pains of, of missing her so much I um, struggle with PTSD from the service and I had a dog that was my service dog that it was about 90%, 95% done being trained to be my service dog and was living with me and uh, we did a training program together through, um, instead of going and having the dog sent to a trainer for one to two years to get trained before being delivered to me as, a, as an animal, it was a self-directed training program. So I've been with this dog, Franklin, who is a giant schnauzer, for the past two years, kind of through all this, would be my emotional support dog as well. Because of all these things, he was he was the my, my steadfast, my buddy, my man. I little, remember you saying he was the reason, he's what got you out of bed every day. Yeah, uh, most days he's what's got me out of bed because there were some times it was very, very challenging. And he traveled with me and all sorts of things. And to, to really pile on that insult with injury, my dad was watching him for a week for some reason that we had something going on and uh, maybe it was during a process of moving or something like that and my dad gave me a call one evening and said Franklin didn't come in last night which I he's not coming in tonight I, the last he, time I saw him was in the morning he, yeah and it was sounded very strange to me because Franklin who knew my parents and my dad and my mom loved Franklin very very much uh and those of you who knew Franklin also who had the pleasure, he was such a goofy, fun, little, loving dog. Just just the sweetest thing. And um, my dad had called and said, I, you know, I hate to say this, but he, he, I haven't seen him. I don't know where he is, which is very strange because he was always around. He almost never left your side. Giant schnauzers are well known for being Velcro dogs because they want to be in your lap. And my dad hadn't seen him. So long story short, we put out the alarm. Nobody had seen him. Nobody's seen him in the neighborhood. The next morning, Julia and I go to, to Lakewood and We're search. preparing for your two of your brothers who had close birthdays. It was their surprise birthday party. It was going to be oh that day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I forgot about and that. And so we decided, because at this point, we were living in Huron, and we decided that at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night when we got the call from his dad, we weren't going to drive into Lakewood because we were planning on going there the next day anyway. Correct. And so John's job that morning was to distract his brothers mm. in their old family house down the road from the family house that the party's at. Yep. And so John is over there distracting his pair or his brothers while... I decide to go on a walk to search for Franklin. And I had a giant schnauzer female that was a year younger than Franklin. And so I put her on the leash 
and I'm walking all over the neighborhood and my mom calls me and she says, Julia, I just have this crazy feeling that you should go walk in his parents' backyard. I think the dog never left the yard, you know, and his dad was convinced like Franklin would have come. He would have come and called. Yeah. So he had to have gone somewhere. He had to have escaped. He wouldn't be in the yard, and he didn't even bother walking back to the lake because... And he's never escaped before, so it would have been a little uncommon anyway, but he did really enjoy chasing deer in particular, or a rabbit or a squirrel, so maybe he did run, and, and he was a, a quite a tall dog. He was 29 uh, inches from toe to shoulder, and so he could easily bound over a fence. He never had before, but you never know. And so that's what my dad maybe thought. He got over the fence, but didn't know how to get back. And from your parents' house all the way to the lake was like, what, almost two acres or something? So it was it's a, three it, acres, yeah. It's a good distance of a walk. You can't just see all the way to the end of the grass. So I'm like, all right, put Eleanor on the leash, and I'm walking around the backyard. Franklin, Franklin, you know, and I'm yelling. I'm like, Eleanor, where's and, Franklin? And you had called me. And I called John, I was like, I'm walking around the yard and I get to the end of the, the yard and I take a turn right and I don't know what I said on the phone, but I lost it because I saw this big black pile on the ground and Franklin was all black. Franklin was jet, jet black. <sighs> so here I am, 36 or something weeks pregnant and I can't even look. I let out this blood curdling scream and saw Franklin laying there right by the fence by the lake, and Franklin was dead. 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 No obvious cause of death. We took him, I ended up taking his body to the veterinary clinic and asked for an autopsy and everything. I mean, when the autopsy came back, no specific, you know, cause of, no, nothing ingested, no stab wound, no, no obvious trauma, no neck break, no stomach flip. Nothing. No reason at all. He's just and dead. Just dead. And I think it's surprising. There's a couple times I've actually almost teared up during this episode. That's another one of those times. But one of the things that your mother said, which really was just un uncannily sweet, was one of the things about Franklin being special was he would chase shadows. He, he, he wouldn't he chase so birds. Sad. He didn't care about the bird on the ground. But when that bird took off into the sky and he saw that shadow jet across the ground, he would just dash at it like a bat out of hell and just would just run after it. And it was the funnest game for him. And his little tail would wag so stinking fast. And he would just sit there and wait for another shadow to come by and he'd chase it. And, you know, he would also do the same thing. Honestly, I think he was more cat than dog. Because, like, I put a laser on the ground. That dog went absolutely crazy like a cat. I mean, a 100-pound cat. But he would just just dart everywhere it was so so funny and, and incredibly endearing and so your mom said something that will stick with me forever because my mom had been gone for not even a full month at this point so just whammy after whammy after whammy but your mom said that Franklin you know my mom needed Franklin and Franklin needed to jet after the stars because Aww. it just he 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 needed to be with my mom. My mom needed the, the comfort, and my mom loved Franklin. She loved to judge him <laughs> like he was in a dog show all the time. She had a book, and she'd look through it. And, and so she needed to, you know, have the company of Franklin, and Franklin was, you know, 
at least now had all the stars in the sky to chase after instead of just the shadows here on Earth. So that was super, super sweet. And so, so wonderful and hard. And at least it made it so that it was like a an extra positive for my mom instead of being a negative for here on Earth. And this is all the additional stresses that are going on through our pregnancy. Yeah, well, I your mean, pregnancy, it, our pregnancy. And that doesn't even... I mean, it just... I don't know that I even really, to this day, have felt all the emotions of everything that happened. And finding Franklin was yet again another, why God? Yeah. Really? Oh gosh, it was so, so it I still have trouble. It was so hard that, you know, again, selfishly, I'm thinking I waited my whole life for this pregnancy and for this child. And this is all the crap I have to deal with throughout my, this whole thing. My best day. friend, all of my support and on my end, my, my, my family was, was just your, a wreck. It was, my dog was my foundation. He was my man. He got me up. He was my dude, my, my, you know. And now he's gone just like that. Your mom, John, just like that. I mean, it was just like, and then I started, I've just remembered this. I started to worry about the baby at this point after Franklin had died. Because of all the stress, yeah. I started to, no, I started to think, what if we lose the baby? Because they oh, come in threes. I never threes. thought about that, yeah. No, I didn't tell, I didn't tell you a lot of things because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to worry you. But I, there's that saying of death comes in threes. And I thought, what if I'm going to lose this baby? Oh, wow. And because we already lost his mom, we already lost Franklin. What if I lose this baby? And then my dad had um, taken a turn for the worse with his congestive heart failure. And I thought, okay, is it going to be my dad? Is my dad going to die and not meet this baby? You know, because it oh, was... Yeah, you had said that you were concerned about that at one point because he was getting pretty rough. He had been defibrillated two times by that point, I think, or oh, once. Gosh. No, it was once. He his heart stopped and his his internal defibrillator shocked him back to life. Basically, that was in June, so it was right before your mom died. Wow. So we had all this worry about my dad, and I just keep thinking, me, oh God, he's got to make it to the baby's birth. It's their first grandchild. Like, please, I hope he gets to meet his first grandson. I mean, I remember talking about that a lot. Oh yeah. But, you know, it was, it was so, there were so many things that happened. I mean, just sitting here talking about it, I'm like. It's hard to, to Oh my gosh, I need to go back to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. And we did not even mention our housing situation. Not even. You know, so on top of all of this, John basically was living in two pl in three places really because he was living in the carriage house of his parents home in lakewood while he was working at this westlake job but he owned a home in huron which is an hour away from lakewood mm -hmm. and i had a home in avon lake on um lake lake erie and i was not intending to leave that house ever in my entire life until I died, because who would ever want to leave? It was a rental, but yeah. I didn't care. <laughs> Just saying. Even my parents were like, you're never leaving here. And yeah, John, it was a rental. Yeah. It still was Lake Erie. <laughs> it was a beautiful house, a beautiful view too. And so 
you know, I'd wake up every morning to the sound of waves and the fresh air from the water. And I just love this place. And I created a home and I had my office in it. And it was just so cozy to me and so wonderful. And John had this house in Huron that he hadn't even moved into. He had bought and owned it for a year and never even lived in the thing. And I was like, well, why would we move in there? when I've already created a home here and you don't have anything out there. Except that my new job was out here. Yep, so he gets this new job and it's 10 minutes down the road. And I had- I didn't even, the, the interesting part about that is I actually didn't even know that that job was gonna be out here. I was applying everywhere. And when the job came back as an R&D engineer, for this company, I was, I've always kind of wanted to be in R&D anyway. I was like, oh, this is exciting, let's go. I had a phone interview, went extremely well, and then they, that's when they said, come in, and that's when I realized that it was so close to my Huron house. So and here so, I am having another, are you kidding me, God moment? Like, it was a miracle and totally a God thing how I even acquired the house on Lake Road. And John has this house in Huron that is, like structurally a sound home it's on Huron River it's not on the lake but you can keep your boats outside your door uh it's two bedrooms it's functionally like the layout of the house is not a family house at all there's there's very little flow to it it's a little funky so I don't like the house at all I still don't like the house (laughs) (laughs) tell me how you really feel Julia Because I loved my lake house. You did. Loved my lake house. And I made it just what I wanted. I mean, I furnished the whole thing. It was just perfect. And I knew what the nursery was going to look like. Everything was going to be great. But I also wanted a maternity leave. And I didn't want to work. I didn't want the pressure of having to work right away. Even after three months, I didn't want the pressure of that. I wanted to be able to ease back into midwifery. And I really wanted to enjoy my son so who is amazingly still sleeping right now yeah oh my gosh i know we're we're really pushing our luck yeah any moment here he's gonna start start waking up (laughs) we laid him down at what eight o'clock and we're still here talking so anyway um this i mean it was bordering after the other thing after the other thing and this specific one was kind of like a it was straw terrible. that almost broke camel's back. It was terrible because John wasn't going to sell his Huron house. I, I, he was just, no way. And I was no way going to leave my lake house. And so we enlisted a counselor because we were like, we did. there's no way we can figure this out by ourselves. We've got to get a counselor to figure all of this out, especially yeah. this housing a situation. So we did couples counseling, which I highly recommend if you are going through hard times because it makes those hard conversations just a little bit easier to have that buffer there. Well, it really does. It really helps have a, a third party who's really who's there for the relationship, not there for either one of you, but here for the relationship. So yep. It's an interesting dynamic to, to uphold as the third party. I've never experienced anything quite like it where... It's the person that has the relationship's best interest at heart, not Julia's interest or John's interest, but the relationship's interest. It was very interesting and very helpful, like a lot. Mm-hmm. So, so this weekly therapy, 
I, we did not solve this quickly. It was probably, I don't even know, eight weeks or something. I mean, it, it was, it was painstaking because I really did not want to leave. And so I was prepared to not leave and we were going to live in separate houses and we were going to have this child and co-parent. And I was really sad about this. It wasn't the way we wanted it. We wanted to be together under one roof as a family. And long story short, John then, how did that even go? Well, there was a, well, that's kind of a long story. I don't know if we have time to get into all we that. Don't have time but to basically, get into that. the, the end, end result was we decided that we that we were going to move into the Huron house so that we could be together because a lot of it basically came down to the fact that I said, Julia, I'm going to support you while you're on medical leave, well, not medical maternity leave, but maternally leave. leave with, you know, and raising our child, which we still didn't know was going to be a boy. And the whole naming process, the whole thing, we can get into oh, another time too. Yeah, we'll get into that maybe the next it. episode. But I, I said, it makes more sense because I'm 10 minutes from my job. If I, if, we, if I sell the house or even just don't move into it and I stay with you at your house in Avon so that I can take care of you and the child. Because during the first couple of weeks in particular, like I'm taking care of both of you. Yeah. Um, I'm only going to have a couple of days of, of, or of time off from work, but I'm going to be driving 45 minutes twice a day, both ways to take care of you versus where I'm living at this Huron house, which is, by the way, it's a beautiful area. I know you say you don't like it, but it's on the water. There's a lot of access. It's great, but it's only 10 minutes from work and I could come home on my lunch break, not just at the end of the day. And so we decided to move into... It finally made sense, even though it was hard. We so chose to move into the Huron house. And meanwhile, this is a month before you're due to give birth. Literally a month before I'm supposed to give birth. So you can barely walk. When we're loading up, we hired a, a moving company, but we still had to pack everything, get it in, get it on. My unpacked. parents saved the day. They literally saved the day. They came up and helped me pack my entire house. And I did it willingly because... A couple of my siblings were able to help, too. They were ahead some time. But yeah. also, Marie and... Betsy, Betsy two of my friends from Cincinnati, came, came up from to Cincinnati. the new house yeah. and unpacked for me. Because Julia did I mean, not want to come home to a house full of boxes. Boxes around me everywhere. And so now at this point, I'm like, how in the world? I don't even know how I can give birth in this place because... I, if you don't know me personally and you haven't picked up on this, I am a person who loves order. Mm. I absolutely thrive on order. So like label maker, <laughs> label maker kind of order. Yes. And I love everywhere. that everyone has boxes, like labels on clear boxes in the garage with batteries and moving this and tapes and I mean, you name it, and guys. And so when somebody <laughs> says, hey, do you have any of these thingamajiggies? I say, yeah, go to the closet and look for the box that's labeled thingamajiggies. And everybody knows where everything is, and it makes life so much easier. And so I thrive on streamlining things to be easy, accessible, and just peaceful and 
Ah, wonderful. So anyway, I have that in my house where I was living, but I decided to uproot everything because John says he wants to do this under the same roof and be a family together. And so I take the ring and I say, okay. And I move in and there's boxes everywhere. And I am at this point incapable of doing anything about it. Yeah, because this is just before Charles had rotated out of breach. And so her sciatic was just absolutely and I was just big and I just didn't have energy and, and it, it was, was hot in the hard. summer it and was, it was August and it was just hard and so my friends come up to visit and God love them but they get here and one of them has strep throat and I'm now 37 weeks pregnant and I'm like great so am I gonna get strep throat because somebody's staying in my house it's hacking up a lung and has strep throat and I do. And now I am 37 and something and almost sick. I'm sick as a dog. With preeclampsia. And sick with strep throat. And just big and tired and ready to get this baby out. But I wasn't. I didn't want the baby to come. No, you didn't. You wanted to be full term. I did not want that baby to come. I didn't want to be sick when I delivered. I wanted to feel good. I wanted to have my home birth. I did not want this baby to come out. But my body wanted the baby to come out. We started having Brax and Higgs. Which were good. They were normal. Well, a couple of times we weren't exactly sure. Because, I mean, again, as we mentioned in the first episode, I know basically nothing about this whole process. And so when all of a sudden... Julia wakes up in the middle of the night who's like, oh my gosh, I'm having contractions. I'm over here like the three musketeers. Hey, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, where's this bag? I, what are we going to do? Okay, what's going on? Who am I calling? And she's just like, John, it's okay. It's just intense. I'm like, but what do I need to do? Where's the hot, where's the hot water? The hot water. You know? And, you know, it's just, I'm like freaking oh, out that things God. are actually happening. Meanwhile, Julie either doesn't think to, to, to remind me that everything's okay, John. It's not happening right this second. It's just, you know, it's saying things are progressing and it's, it's, it, baby's gonna come. And I'm freaking out in the middle of the night sometimes. So on that note of you freaking out, I think that is a good ending note. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love the humor there. And we've pretty much caught up our entire pregnancy, everything that's happened. All the way so, up. The next thing is to talk about when does this baby actually make his appearance? Because yes. now I am 38 weeks and sick. So it will be a mystery until the next episode, which won't come out for another two weeks. So I think this is where we're going to end it for this episode, everyone. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our podcast, The Home Birth Experience. You have so many things to listen to. So glad that you listen to us. Um, again, if you have questions or want to chat, email Julia at clevelandhomebirth.com. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram, Cleveland Home Birth. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform, The Home Birth Experience. And we are looking forward to the next episode. Stay well, everyone. Can't wait. Bye. Bye.